Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank, and I'm here in the studio with my producer, Abigail Keel. Hey, Hillary. Hey. So how's things? Well, there's I, there's something I want to I want to tell you about today. There's something you want to tell me. Should we turn off the microphones? Oh, or? we should keep them going. Okay. <laughs> All right. Tell me. Well, um, I had a very deep sleep last night, <laughs> in which I also had a very engaging dream. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wanted to tell you about it. <laughs> you want to tell me about your dream? Yeah. Okay. okay. Tell me about your dream. And, yeah. Okay. So, um, so in my dream, I was pregnant, and I. Like my water broke, and then I had to like get to the hospital, and so I get into the hospital, and then I the it's like a nine story hospital. I'm on like the top floor, but there's no windows. I don't know why. Maybe that's saying something <laughs> about my psychology. I don't know. But, so I get there, and then like my mom and my sister are there with me, which is great. But um, my mom and sister are both nurses in real life, and so in this dream, they were also my like they were working at the hospital and they were taking care of me as a pregnant person. Wow, and they're not just nurses, right? They right. they work in in, in obstetrics. Yeah. So yeah, so they take... Well, that sounds perfect, actually, right? That's who <laughs> That's you want true. with you. Um, but the dream... It wasn't ideal in this dream because, like, <laughs> they kept, like... <laughs> <laughs> they would be like, I would be like, guys, I feel, I feel weird. Like, I think, you know, it was like my, my water broke, but we were like waiting for me to like really get into like the contracting phase and like, get, you know, get things really moving along. And so like, we were just kind of hanging and I was like, guys, you know, I'm feeling a lot of pressure. Like, I think something's weird. And then they'd be like, no, no, you're fine. Like, you're not there yet. You think, you think you're there, but you're not there. And they would just be like chatting in the corner. And I was, I just was feeling like super annoyed. I was like, why isn't anyone paying attention to me? And like validating my feelings as a pregnant person. <laughs> I think I just have been reading a lot of, um, a lot of our pitch emails. <laughs> <laughs> You're like sitting here telling me this story and you're like rubbing your belly and like really you're feeling this as if it's real right now. It was so real. It was stressful. Um that sounds that sounds like a nightmare. It, yeah, it kind of was. And it you know, yeah, it's the opposite I would say of the kind of response that our guest today had to her pregnancy. Nice pivot. Thank you. Yeah. Our guest today <laughs> is, of course, Anna Sale. That's right, the host of Death, Sex, and Money at WNYC. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're right. 
You're right. She, like, she's got this just calm about her. It's it's sort of unlike a calm I've seen from anyone. It's like from the way she holds her body to um, just that soothing voice that mm. she's known for. Yeah. Yeah, you know, she came to the studio in, back in March um, for this interview, and she was around six months pregnant, and she just seemed like she was along for the ride. She seemed very zen about the whole thing. And it's not like everything was just easy. Mm. Like, there were things going on then and, like, throughout her pregnancy that, um, you know, are hard things. Like, they, mm. there were wrenches thrown in her plans. Still, she just sounded, you're right, like, so zen about everything. It was so interesting. Yeah. So, you know, Anna has been, like, obsessed with these three topics, death, sex, and money. It's the name of her show. She's been obsessed with these three topics for a while now. And um, me, as a parent... I gotta say, uh, those are that's like the top three. That's the top three scary things <laughs> yes. in my life. <laughs> those are like the the ones that keep you up at night. It that's sounds right. Like. <laughs> that's right. Uh, <laughs> I have my own nightmares about them, <laughs> Abigail. <laughs> so, um, you know, I sort of wanted to mind meld with Anna and like mm. find out um, like how these three things um, are affecting her life now that she's about to become a mom. And, you know, how they affected her life as a kid. Like, what's the origin story? Mm. Did she did she get her obsession on death, sex, and money from her parents? I guess we'll find out. When Anna was a kid, her mom was a physical therapist, and she taught childbirth education. So I figured she would have been the one to talk to Anna about the birds and the bees. But turns out, it was her dad. My dad... When I was, I think I was like five or six, like very, was young. Um, we were at the beach and he, he, he used to tell us stories about strawberry shortcake that we made up. Um, and that was something we did together. And it was like about the character. Strawberry yeah. Shortcake. But in our version, like strawberry had a sister named cupcake and she had two parents and she had a brother and it, it was like made up, but somehow her name was also strawberry shortcake. <laughs> um, but we were at the beach and then we're all kids, the three, the, the, the my, me and my two younger sisters. Um, uh, and, uh, and the one night strawberry's parents decided they wanted to have another kid and he explained to us how it worked. And I can, and we were young enough that like, what I remember thinking is like, what? Wait, wait, what did he say to you? <laughs> it was like, this is what happens. The, the You know, Strawberry's dad took his penis and put it in his mom's vagina. <laughs> and and for me, it was like all that those body parts meant were, it was all associated with like bathroom stuff. It had no, like I had no idea that any of that, that there was this whole other layer. Like my mind was blown. Um, and I really, I think so, like I... Like, I've looked back on that, and I love that, like, it probably was the result of my parents, you know, having a conversation about, like, well, when is it appropriate? How should we do this? Um, and that they decided to embed it into this, like, story that my dad would tell us. And you think it was premeditated? I think so, because it's so weird. Like, I don't think my dad would just be like, here's a curveball. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he discussed it with my mom first. Um, that's how I envision it. But I really like that I learned about it from from my dad. And then I, of course, like years later, when I was like eight, you know, told my sister in the bathroom, you know, like 
illicitly told my younger sister in the bathroom <laughs> like how's what what the deal was with sex so i you know prevented her from having that nice moment of connection with her parents she's now an obgyn she knows much more oh, than wow. i know but uh <laughs> but, uh, yeah <laughs> what was your first experience with death um i think the one that i think about the most was with family um at my grandparents, my, my mom's parents' 50th wedding anniversary party um, in North Carolina. She grew up in a farm community in North Carolina. And so we're celebrating my grandparents' wedding anniversary. And at the party, my great uncle um, collapsed and had a heart attack oh my God. in front of the whole family while we were all gathered. And my mom... Uh, Did you see it happen? Yeah, I can. I saw him. I saw him grab the corner of the dessert table... Um, and fall. And my parent, my mom gave him mouth to mouth. It was, you know, it was CPR. It was like silent in the room. And it took a while for the ambulance to come because it was in a more rural community. And so I just, I remember that, the quiet and kind of looking around and realizing like my uncle's kids, my uncle's wife, my uncle's brother, like we're all sitting there watching um, and he was taken out by the paramedics eventually and, and never regained consciousness. And he had had heart trouble. So we, we sort of knew that he was not doing well, but it was, um, a shock. Um, Do you think of death as a scary thing? Uh, I think of it in lots of ways. I think of it like as a fact, um, I think because my parents are, you know, coming from, both being in medicine, they have a kind of clinical way of looking at death. You know, they've always said, like, you know, we're going to donate our bodies to science when we die, and that's what we're going to do. And, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a terrifying thing to think about. You know, losing someone who you're not ready to lose, or dying yourself before you are ready. I think it's, I mean, and also with parenthood, I've been thinking about this. It's like, you know, when you start to feel like your own death will mean that you can't take care of the people that you want to continue to take care of, like that's a whole other dimension that I haven't really mm -hmm. had. Mm -hmm. It's like to feel like you're somehow, um, your death would make you negligent and, and taking care and keeping your child safe in the world, uh, it's like a whole other thing than just the idea of your ego going away. Yeah, absolutely. And how did how did your parents talk to you about money? Mm. <laughs> they were uh, so we we it was like a couple of ways. Like I, <laughs> one thing that I have thought about a lot is growing up in West Virginia, the daughter of a doctor. Like it was so ingrained in us that we were fortunate and that was really important to remember and that there were many families who didn't have what we had. Um, like I can remember going to, when I went to college, when I went to Stanford, there was like one of those like freshman orientation cross the line things where you like cross the line if you identify with this or that. But the moment when they were like, you know, cross the line if you think of your parents as rich and I like cross the line and and I think like one other person did and nobody else did. <laughs> and I was just like, 
what land are you people on that you're like, you know, all these kids who grew up in Pasadena with these fancy parents um, and didn't think of themselves as rich? Like it was like, oh, I have ingrained so much class awareness from being, having grown up in West Virginia. Um, But as far as how they shared their money with us, um, we were like allowance kids and it was tied to chores and it was also um, a real emphasis on saving um, from a young, young age uh, and also like donating money. Um, My my parents, when I was uh, like in elementary school, they set us up with savings accounts and they would give us, I think it was like, I can't remember, it was like 10 bucks a month or something like that. And whatever we put in our savings account and didn't spend, they would double. So I I can remember like walking around the house and like emptying change change jars to like make my deposit bigger so that I could double it in my savings account. So for me, spending money is painful. It feels like I'm not saving the money that I'm supposed to be saving. So that that is my money hang up. Because you do need to spend money in the world. Was there anything big that you were saving for? Was there like anything you actually no, spent the money on? That's what's crazy. Like this idea that you're saving, you, that like, no, Anna, if you save, you get to like buy a nice thing that you've saved for. No, that still feels guilty. Yeah. It's like, I have like weird retirement things. I'm like, I love to save for retirement. <laughs> what do you imagine you're going to do in retirement? I don't know. It's just it's just like I won't be destitute. It's like this idea of like I am doing the right thing with my money by saving for retirement. It's uh-huh. not even like it's not associated with how I will spend money. Yeah. So it's not healthy. <laughs> in other words, in conclusion. <laughs> when Anna came in to talk to me, she had just decided on like like a big life change. Um, she and Arthur, her husband, were going to move from New York to California. That's because Arthur had just gotten a job teaching at UC Berkeley. He's a biologist, and he studies the behavior of large mammals like wolves and elk. But when Arthur got this new gig, Anna was already pregnant, and all the plans that she'd had in place were suddenly up in the air. Like They, they had all these questions like, like, would they move before or after the baby was born? Was there even enough time to find a new doctor or a place to live? Anna's signature calmness was shifting. Because it just feels like, like this baby is coming and like to not know exactly where we're going to put it (laughs) in the country Uh um, is that's beginning to feel like, okay, we need like more spreadsheets and action plans and, you know, different scenarios worked out uh, because it's go time. So go time. I sort of took that as my signal that I could start asking Anna questions about, you know, what was going to happen next, like what, what things were going to be like when she had the baby and, and how she thought she'd handle work-life balance and, and, you know, what scared her most about becoming a parent. Was it death? Was it sex? Was it money? And I think I was looking for her to sound like freaked out, you know, like, like I, I think I was looking for her to sound the way I think I sounded when I was about to have a baby. But um, Anna just kind of kept answering me in this very matter-of-fact way. Um, like, like she seemed to have all of her ducks in a row. And so I'm like heaping these questions on her about the future. And finally she looks at me and she says this. Um, let's see. I, I mean, I do feel, I feel like 
I, you know, I feel like you're like interviewing, um, a, like someone who's about to graduate from high school about what it's going to be like when they've been in the real world for 10 years. <laughs> you know? So it's like, which, you know, is fair. It, it's hard to picture what parenthood could possibly look like before you cross over to the other side. When we come back, Anna graduates from pregnancy, enters the real world of parenthood. Stay with us. <laughs> Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh-generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Hi, Anna. Hi, Hillary. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You had a baby. I, I have had a baby. She's right here, and she just is quieting down, but I don't know how long it's going to last. I gave Anna a call back in July. Oh, her name is June, and she is six weeks old today. She's June, and she was born in June, right? Yes, she was born on June 2nd. And that, but that's my mom's name, so we didn't plan for it to be so quite on the nose. Gotcha. <laughs> but there it is. <laughs> yeah. So remember when we left off, Anna's husband had just gotten a job at UC Berkeley. And they were going to have to move. And they did move, but not to California. We made the kind of harebrained decision to leave New York City. And I had the baby out here in Wyoming. Anna and Arthur picked Cody, Wyoming, because they know the town well. They got married there last fall. And Arthur's been doing field work there for the last decade, mostly studying the elk that migrate in and out of Yellowstone. June's birth announcement was actually published in the local paper. So that's, I'm kind of in this sort of very quiet place, a small community where everyone's excited to help out and bring dinner by, and it's made it feel really positive. Um, So I think that the craziest thing we did do was I got on a plane at 36 weeks, um, pregnant with a note from my doctor. Because you're not supposed to fly that late, right? (laughs) You're not. It's not that airplanes put you into labor. It's that you could go into labor on an airplane. Um, So, yeah. So so that was a little risky. But but it ended up that I was totally fine and did not go into labor. Um, 
And uh, when I finally had the baby, I didn't go into labor anyway. Um, turns out that the baby was breech. I found that out about maybe four weeks before she came, which means that she was butt down and legs and head up. And she was quite snug there and wasn't turning. So um, we ended up scheduling a C-section and had that very odd experience of laying in bed one night, knowing the next morning you're going to go in and have a baby. <laughs> did, did you do anything to try to turn her? You know, I um, I did, you know, things like uh, have our, <laughs> you, they say like put frozen peas, at, uh, you know, at the top, like all these things to make the baby uncomfortable with the head at the top. I had <laughs> the baby would be like, I'm out of here. I'm turning. <laughs> yeah. It's too cold up here. Let me go back down. Um Somebody suggested, I have no idea if this is true, but if if the dad's like deep voice, if he speaks like down lower, it'll make the baby want to turn to hear the voice. Um, That didn't work either. I did handstands and swimming pools, Um, (laughs) but I didn't do any um, major medical interventions, which are available or any kind of acupuncture stuff, because I also had a second placenta, like a second, a mini placenta. So the um, vascular system was a little unusual for the baby. So all my doctors, the ones in New York and the ones out here in Wyoming, recommended not messing with that. What did they tell you about why there was a second placenta? (laughs) I never really got a good answer. It's sort of like a weird quirk. It's called an accessory placenta, but I like to call it my baby placenta. And... um, the umbilical cord was attached to the baby placenta, and then the baby placenta was attached to the big placenta through a network of vessels. Um, so a friend, a friend pointed out because I, you know, was freaked out when I first found out. I was like, "Why do I have this unusual arrangement? And is this going to harm the baby? And what does this mean?" Um, and it turns out it doesn't really have a risk. The kind I had didn't really pose any sort of risk in utero. It just made it a little more imperative that. The doctor be sure to get all the placenta material out so I didn't hemorrhage during delivery. Um, but a friend, a friend just pointed out to relax me, like, well, it's just your baby's just getting double filtered, uh, you know, stuff. She's <laughs> got two placentas. So um, so with that kind of weird thing that was happening, um, I, I didn't try to flip the baby. So we we kind of made peace that we weren't going to have the natural childbirth experience, which is the one we'd trained for at our, you know, yoga studio in Brooklyn with our childbirth education class. And um, it was a very different experience. You, you say that you made peace with it, but was it disappointing initially? Um, I was sort of, I, I thought I would be more disappointed, actually. I thought I would, um, I thought I, yeah, I thought I would f- feel more of a sense of loss. But I, I personally didn't. I was more... Um, just really what I was really focused on by the end of the pregnancy was I wanted to see the kid because for some reason it felt so abstract for me, uh, even towards the very end of pregnancy that I was, I couldn't quite believe that there was an actual healthy baby growing inside me, despite all of the, you know, ultrasounds and, and, you know, heartbeat monitors and all the things you hear at checkups. So I just wanted the baby out. <laughs> so um, when doctors recommended a C-section, it was like, if that's the thing that they're saying is going to be healthier 
for the baby. Let's, let's do that. When I first talked to Anna about motherhood, back when she was pregnant, she said she didn't really know what kind of a mom she would be. But now, she says, even though June's still very new, she's getting a sense of her parenting style. That's been one of the most interesting parts of these first few weeks, I think, for me and watching Arthur as a dad is is observing what, what our parent personalities are, you know? Like, mm. um, I... I didn't know if I was going to be a super protective, neurotic, you know, mom or if I'd be more go with the flow. I I think I'm like somewhere in between. Um, I definitely do a lot of Googling uh, when something comes up just to make sure it's not a, you know, life-threatening something rather. But um, we've also been taking the baby out a lot and um, she likes her car seat. She likes being on the move. So we haven't been you know, in a, in a bubble, a a sterile bubble at all during these first six weeks. Um, (laughs) but compared to Arthur, I'm, I guess I'm more protective. There was one moment when we were at a friend's house having dinner and we were like on the back porch and Arthur took the baby because she was getting fussy and, you know, I'm finally eating with both hands and feels like an amazing just sort of break. And then someone notices that they see Arthur's head bopping up and down, and he had um, decided to get on the trampoline that was in the yard to see if that would soothe Fussy June. So he's <laughs> holding this infant in his arms on this trampoline, bouncing up and down. <laughs> and she liked it, but I, I would not have made that choice. But how did you react? <laughs> I was like, do I run over and tell him to get off the trampoline, or do I, do I just like hold back and see what what happens and it and I I decided to hold back. I'm I'm trying to like not impose my parenting style on his until something, you know, dreadful goes wrong. But it it it's uh yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. So so even in these moments when Anna is freaking out on the inside, she's still so chill on the outside. Then again, June is still only six weeks old. And as all parents know, our parenting style can change drastically year to year or even today to tomorrow. In a minute, Anna talks about the parenting thing that truly does keep her up at night and how potato chips have made her feel like a mom. Don't go away. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. 
Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. We're back with Anna Sale, who is a new mom and the host of the podcast, Death, Sex, and Money. Um, so last time we talked, I asked you about the topics of death, sex, and money as they relate to being a parent and I asked you which mm-hmm. one scared you the most. And you seemed most concerned about money. You didn't seem concerned really at all about sex. And I just wonder now that you've uh-huh. been through a C-section and ha- have a lot of physical demands on your body, has that changed at all? Um, I, Like, I just went to the doctor and I had my six-week appointment, and which is the time when the veil lifts and I can now resume regular sexual activity. And that seemed um, sort of sudden. <laughs> so it's not a top priority for me now. <laughs> yeah. So what happened? They, they, they like gave you the go ahead. Yeah. They're like, it's time you can go back at it. And I'm like, not sure. I feel like it just yet. Um, I think we're still very much in a kind of um, just strange twilight zone of getting used to, everything. I mean, just having a baby in your bedroom um, just changes the dynamic uh, when the baby's right next next to the bed. So um, I think that will keep changing as as the baby gets older and as, as, you know, as I do feel more comfortable back in my body as as my body and not just the the body that is being a a mom. Um, But but I feel now it's been long enough that I'm like excited to resume normal aerobic activity mm-hmm. and at some point that will, will at some point that will include sex again <laughs> um but but I would say yeah I'm still pretty freaked out about money um like wanting to figure out where we're going to live and and thinking about you know making a nice family home and then trying to figure out the budget for that alongside the court kind of mystery budget about child care um and because we don't quite know what our life is going to look like and feel like because we're both going to have changes in how our jobs work um, in the fall. Uh, but I think death, death is the thing that I think about the, the most. Like when you're, when you have a new baby, it's, you're, you're very, I'm very focused on making sure this baby is healthy and this baby is not um not going to die. Yeah. Bluntly. I mean, I was, we actually, um, were staying in another house yesterday. Um, uh, and we were in a room without a nightlight and I had June in the bassinet by the bed and, you know, she usually has her usual nightlight so I can just look over and make sure her chest is going up and down in the middle of the night. And I couldn't cause it was pitch dark last night. And so I ended up like grabbing my iPhone and getting the flashlight app opened and like, <laughs> was like, you know, pointing this bright flashlight at her to make sure she was okay. Um, did that a few times in the middle of the night because, um, you know, you're in this weird headspace where it's, 
you're trying to learn that babies are tough and babies are, are resilient, but also you know that they're so vulnerable. So it's figuring yeah. out how to walk that line. And are you feeling your own mortality more than you were? You know what? I was not expecting that. Uh, but when you have a baby who, you know, from one day to the next, you can see the way they're changing and growing and getting bigger and older, um, it really has made me aware of the passage of time and the fact that uh, I'm getting older, too, along with her. And not that I think that I'm all of a sudden elderly, but I... It's interesting hearing other moms, like when you walk around with a with a new baby, you know, people want to talk about your new baby. And, and I was somewhere and this woman who was helping me at a counter, she saw June and she just said, she just said, oh, you know, just don't blink. She's like, I, my boys are seven and nine and, and I blinked and she got the tears in her eyes and um, you know, people tell you they grow up so fast, but you really get told that over and over again as you're seeing it, as you're seeing your baby develop. So that's really made me aware. Yeah. How how do you think you're going to go about not blinking? I have no idea, Hillary. I'm sure I'm going <laughs> to blink. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I, uh, but I mean, the thing now that I just am thinking about uh, is the end of maternity leave and what's going to happen when all of a sudden there are many, many more demands on my time and demands that are in conflict with one another. Yeah. That stuff like of going back to work can feel so emotional. Um, how does it feel to you right now? It's. It feels, uh, it still feels like something that's on my to-do list, like a nut that I have to crack. Um, so the emotions haven't come yet. I think once I know where I'm dropping my baby off or the person who's going to be watching my baby instead of me. Um, we're hearing her cry and I'm having to get in the car and just drive away. I think that's when the emotions will come and I know they will come and I know they will, I will feel torn in a way that I've never felt before. Um, but right now I don't feel that right now. I just feel like I have some things to get figured out as part of my mom duties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like I, I still am very much under the illusion that I can, that I can control it, that I'm going to be able to come up with some arrangement that's going to feel um, like it's managed. And I know that's an illusion, like hearing from any working mom ever, they, you know, it's just, there are so many unpredictable things and there are needs that only parents can meet and in particular needs that only a mom can meet and, uh, and figuring out how to do that while also doing your job um, and showing up for your coworkers and your boss is really hard. Um, so I don't know what that's going to be like. I can remember in the beginning, not so much feeling like a mom, but feeling like a keeper aliver. Uh-huh. Like, is that is that what it feels like to you? Or do you feel like... I am a mother, like my identity has changed to mother. Well, I think the thing that has made me really feel like a mom has been nursing because I, I didn't really anticipate this, the way that it really constrains your movement in the world and the amount of time you can be separated from 
the baby. And so I've, I've just started trying to um, get more bottles in the fridge so I can, you know, be out for longer than 45 minutes at a time or so. Um, uh, but, but that really was like, oh, my movement in the world is very different now. Um, and the other thing that made me feel like a mom was realizing there were all these things that I was having to learn how to do with one hand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I was always having to hold the baby, whether it was nursing or just, um, you know, to, to keep her sort of mellow. And so I'm like brushing my teeth with my left hand. I'm like learning how to eat with one hand and trying not to drop the food down on the infant's face while I'm eating, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> pulling the fork over. So that's made me feel like a mom. And and it's like, because it's that weird sacrificing of your, of your, your body as an autonomous thing. I can remember um, my husband, Jonathan, who you know, um, uh-huh. saying that he really felt like a dad. <laughs> it was like my family was having a Passover dinner like a couple months after our daughter was born and he like dropped some food on her head and without thinking just ate the food right off of her head. <laughs> and the, oh, yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, I'm a dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's very dadly. I mean, my most embarrassing moment was I was eating. Ch- it was one of those moments where I was like famished, which I blame on nursing. But I think I just, so I was like, I'm going to eat anything that is in front of me right now. And I found these chips that had some kind of flavor powder on them that was very tasty. So I'm like eating these chips ravenously. And I look down and her head is just like covered in like barbecue powder from the <laughs> chips. <laughs> Like, so I'm like sweeping it out of her like very new blonde hair. It was it was kind of gross. <laughs> Anna and her family are moving to California at the end of this month. She tells us her maternity leave summer camp vacation time is coming to an end. But that is good news for us because that means she'll be making more death, sex, and money. Go subscribe to it now in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to The Longest Shortest Time and take just a minute to rate us and write us a review. This helps us tremendously. It helps us to rise in those charts and it helps new people to find our show. And today, in the spirit of Anna's show, we want to know what freaks you out the most, death, sex, or money. Go tell us why at our website, longestshortesttime.com, in the comments for this episode. That's episode 93. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Amory Baldonado and Antonia Acatunde. We had help this week also from Luce Fleming. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. What is a girl and how do you be one and how do you raise one? And then how do you raise one when they seem to have the body of a boy? (laughs) Marlo Mack from the wonderful podcast How to Be a Girl will be here. She'll talk about navigating life with her young transgender daughter. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, We are looking for your stories. 
Right now, we're especially looking for your thoughts on birth control. This is for a really fun and informative show that we're working on. We want to know what kind of birth control do you use and has that changed over time? So tell us that and tell us why. Go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. I'm Trayvon Free. I'm Mike Drucker. You are now in the room where it's happening. Where we geek out about the best musical of all time. Hamilton. Hamilton. We'll be talking about the lyrics, the history, the production, and we've got some amazing guests. We have actress Kristen Chenoweth. I'm in for you, and I'm sorry you shot him. Comedian John Hodgman. I ran home, and I said to my wife and two children, you have to listen to this. Hamilton cast member Jasmine Cephas Jones. Yo, this is amazing. (laughs) Subscribe right now, and you'll never miss an episode. Join us in the room where it's happening. Everybody. Amazing. Stand up. You sing Earwolf? Yeah. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh-generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of seventh generation. Find seventh-generation laundry detergent in fresh lavender and other scents at seventhgeneration.com.